This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name is Owen. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. My wife, Claire, is also a co-lead pastor. She's at home recovering from a small operation she had on Thursday. Uh, she came out of the hospital chattering away after having had a general anaesthetic. Anyone else had a general anaesthetic? Yeah, and do you know how that feels? It kind of just, you just feel a bit either wired or kind of knocked out, or both. Uh, yeah, I noticed that in Claire this week. It's quite interesting. Uh, anyway, um, she's probably watching from home, so sorry about just telling all of your news, darling. <laughs> We're family. <laughs> so, um, uh, anyone heard of Tim Spector? Yeah, some of you had. Tim Spector wrote a bunch of books recently on diet. Um, if you haven't read them, then um, I would recommend them. I've really enjoyed uh, listening to him speak. And he is an epidemiologist and a medical doctor here, based here in Britain. And he's done a lot of research into why twins, although they're genetically identical, have different, uh, effectively, pathological conditions throughout their lifestyle, uh, throughout their life, rather. Which, and the question is, why? Why do twins who are genetically identical have differences? And one of the reasons is that he found, and his team found, was due to our... The, our lower intestine, the bacteria in our lower intestine, they call it like the biome. And they, they basically did some research with 10,000 volunteers and they found that the gut biome, that is the good bacteria in your gut, is greatly enhanced. You have a great diversity of bacteria in your gut if you eat a broader variety of um, plants. Now, actually the number they put on it is 30 different plants. Now, if you're like me and you've grown up with five a day, 30 sounds ridiculous, but it's 30 a week, but it's all about diversity. It's all about diversity. It's about um, having s- uh, different types of plant. And good news is it, in- it includes things like coffee beans. It, in- it includes uh, herbs and spices and pulses and nuts and all of this. So, so I, I thought it sounded great. Uh, basically, the, the idea is, is that the greater diversity of plants that you eat, the more bacteria you can feed within your lower, lower intestine. And the more chemicals those, um, the, those bacteria can produce that make good for your body, which sounds like a great idea. So like any fad, honestly, I, don't think, I think it's probably more than a fad, but I was like, right, let's do this. So I, was, I was chucking in, if I made a chilli, I would chuck chickpeas into it, red lentils, all sorts of spices, um, pulses, and the kids would hate it, I've got to be honest with you. Um, and, uh, and then at, at breakfast, I've started eating kefir, have you had anybody eat kefir? Anyone else eating kefir? Yeah, it gives you a bit of wind, doesn't it? Yeah, it's nice, yeah. Um, and, uh, and four different types of seed and, and nuts in your cereal and so forth. Um, but the, the other thing that, that I've developed is um, a rather snobby attitude to ultra-processed food, fast food, McDonald's. Now, I just want to say, yesterday I was in London with my son Jay. I enjoyed a McDonald's breakfast before you think anything of it. But basically, McDonald's food, uh, or any other fast food provider, the great thing about it is it's just full of sugar and salt. And I honestly mean that. It's great, isn't it? Sweet and salt. Who doesn't love a bit of sweet and salt? But the reality is, is that whilst it's delicious to eat, it leaves you feeling completely empty after about an hour, right? You know, because what happens is, is that you eat all the sugar and salt. It spikes uh, your insulin production, which then clears all the sh- sugar out of your bloodstream, which then leaves you with a sugar low and you're feeling a little bit empty and a bit like, oh, I need to eat something more. And you've only eaten a McDonald's breakfast that an hour earlier. And um, uh, so, so, so the great thing about McDonald's is it makes you feel great for a minute, but, but it doesn't feed those bacteria in your lower gut, okay? It doesn't kind of bring that kind of deep nutritious benefit that 
whole foods might bring to your body. And I, I tell you this because I think it's true for many things in life, isn't it? It's true for many things in life. You know, you, the, the anticipation is often better than the reality. Am I right? I mean, if you haven't booked a holiday yet and you have the wherewithal to do that, book a holiday because the anticipation of it between now and when you take it is going to be fantastic and sometimes even better than the reality. Uh, it's like that with Christmas, isn't it? We look forward to Christmas and then you get to Christmas Day. It's just that. Was that it? It's a bit disappointing. <laughs> the truth is, is that the anticipation is often better than the reality. Has anyone heard of unboxing? If you're over 50 or over 40 like me, then you will probably never heard of it. It's a thing. It's a thing on YouTube. You basically watch someone unbox a brand new thing. Now, it can be anything. It can be an Apple mobile phone. It can be an Android mobile phone, if you like. It can be a beautiful watch. It, it can even be a car. And, and you get to peel off all the plastic. Does anybody else enjoy peeling off the plastic off the screen of a new product? You know, it's basically you get to unbox and you watch someone unboxing a, a desirable object. And honestly, the anticipation, it's fun. You should try it. It's a thing. It, it gives you a real kind of experience of that kind of anticipation, the joy and the enjoyment of doing that. But when you actually then have got the thing, how many of you know that after a while, the, the joy of it just wears off? You know, you're kind of like, yeah, that's just a thing I've got. Yeah, that's just my phone. Oh, well, I've sat on it. Don't worry about it. But only months earlier, you were peeling the plastic off that phone thinking, this is amazing. Because the anticipation is often better than the reality. I'm not arguing, by the way, that um, we shouldn't enjoy nice stuff and open nice products and all of that sort of thing. We all enjoy a luxury. We all enjoy things that uh, are unique to our t sort of flavour and perspective on life. But we do tend to swim in the shallows of life sometimes, don't we? We tend to swim in the shallows of life. And, and it's very rare that we actually take a deep dive into the more deeper aspects of our soul, the, the sort of deeper satisfactions of life. And we've got loads of reasons for this. I've, I've sort of four that affect me, and maybe you're the same. So reasons why we don't deep, do a deep dive into the depths of our souls. We're just too busy or tired to find the time and energy. Ben was saying that, wasn't he, on that video? We're just too busy to find the time or energy. And often it's more energy than time, right? It's like, when we're tired, we just don't have creative power. I mean, is it just me? But I just don't feel creative when I'm tired. I don't have the energy to go deep. Um, secondly, we don't take a deep dive into our soul because sometimes we don't have any wisdom in doing this or experience in doing this. Um, we don't have a counsellor to guide us through it and help us with it. Third reason would be that we are fearful of taking a deep dive. How many of us know that we've buried pain? In the past, we've buried it. We've buried nasty experiences down because we don't want to face them. And the last thing we want to do is take a deep dive and be faced with that thing again, right? It's just not an appealing thing to do. And so some of us avoid a deep dive into our soul because we're worried about what we might find. And the fourth one is, some of us find it hard to trust our feelings and emotions, our intuition and our imagination. We find it hard to trust those things because in the past they've let us down. We find it hard because those things don't come easily to us. We find it hard because actually we would rather trust just what is in front of us, what we can see, hear, smell, taste and touch. So there's lots of reasons, maybe those four, some of those four uh, you know, kind of apply to you as well as they do to me. But we, we, we don't find it easy to do a deep dive into our souls. Uh, and, and whatever our reasons are, um, I want to suggest to you um, that we still need to do it. Um, you know, we can't 
live on McDonald's for the rest of our life. We can't live on ultra-processed food. Uh, some people have tried it. It's not gone well for them. Um, you can watch that online as well. Um, the reality is, is that uh, we need nutritious, we need food that gets down to our lower intestine and feeds those bacteria that give us all the great chemicals that our body needs to survive and avoid pathology. We need more than just ultra-processed food in the spiritual sense as well as the physical sense. So there's this story uh, about Jesus and he's doing this thing that no self-respecting rabbi uh, would have done in his day and he's having a deep and meaningful conversation with a Samaritan woman. Now at the time of Jesus, um, there was this deep hatred and mistrust between the Jews and the Samaritans. And, um, and this, was, uh, this was an enmity which extended back 900 years to King Solomon uh, and to his son Rehoboam. So go back and have a look at that if you want to. But anyway, Jesus is having this conversation with this Samaritan woman. He's actually been on a long journey and he's midway through his journey. They've stopped. The disciples and him have stopped because they're tired and hungry. And the disciples have gone off to the town to get some food and Jesus strikes up this conversation with this Samaritan woman. Now, as I said, there's this enmity between the Jews and Samaritans and the disciples returned and they were surprised to find Jesus talking with this Samaritan woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking to her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see this man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, would you eat something? So earlier, as I said, earlier in, in the account of John, uh, this is John 4, by the way, the disciples have gone off to get some food um, because they're aware that Jesus is tired and hungry. You know, Jesus often worked himself to the bone. There's, there's repeated occurrences in the, in the accounts of Jesus' life where his disciples express their concern for him. Like, like Jesus, you're just tired. Why don't you get some sleep? Jesus, you're, you're hungry. Let's get you some food. He just, he just didn't take care of himself in that way. He had other things to do. And in this situation, uh, the story goes on. Um, they come back and say, Jesus, you need to eat some food. And he politely refuses. He says this. He says, bearing in mind the disciples have gone off a long way to get some food and have come back with food. And Jesus says this to them. Oh, guys, I've got food um, that you know nothing about. <laughs> I'm like, if that had been me, I'd have been like, well, where did you get that food from, Jesus? Have you been hiding it in your bag? Like, but they were more polite. It says in verse 33, they said to each other, could someone else have brought food to him? Jesus is cryptic. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So, I, I, okay, that makes complete sense to me. He's being cryptic, he's being kind of poetic, and he's saying that I have food that, um, that you know, that is not like ordinary food, it's food that sustains me. And what is that? Well, it is a metaphor for doing the will of God, having a sense of purpose in life. That sustains me in a way that food can never sustain me. Right? Okay, yeah, fair enough, Jesus, that sounds fantastic. Um, but then, in John 6, which I would call the bread chapter, uh, Jesus feeds 5,000 people with five loaves uh, of bread and two small fish. Everyone familiar with that story? It's about as famous as you can get, isn't it? Uh, so he leaves these 5,000 people after feeding them literally tons of bread and fish. So he, there's this miracle where he multiplies bread and fish and, and there's tons of food and, and 5,000 people are fed. He leaves them and gets in a boat and goes across Lake Galilee. Meanwhile, the people who've been fed, um, well... They've done what's happened, you know, about, like the ultra-processed food. They've kind of like, they've eaten it, it's made them feel great for an hour or two, 
they've had all that bread, lots of starchy food, and then suddenly they've got the sugar drop. They're like, we're hungry again. Where is that man, Jesus? Someone says, well, he's gone across the lake. He's got in a boat and gone across the lake. So they're like, there's no boats. Let's leg it around the other side of the lake so that we can get some more food from Jesus because, frankly, we're hungry. So they do that. And um, uh, in John 6, 34, 35, uh, it says this. Um, in fact, no, I'll, let me go to John 6, 25, 27. When they found Jesus on the other side of the lake, the crowd asked them, Rabbi, when did you get here? He doesn't mention the fact he walked across the lake. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs that I performed, but because you ate the food and now you're hungry again. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. <laughs> they say, Sir, always give us this bread. Jesus declared, and they didn't expect this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Okay, another metaphor. Another metaphor. Surely this is another metaphor, Jesus, right? Well, we do know, don't we, that this image of Jesus being the bread of life is a powerful, enduring image which endures to this day in what we call the Eucharist, which is the Latin word for thanksgiving. Who knew that the Lord's Supper, communion, th Eucharist, names for all the same thing. You've got it here at the front, bread and juice. It's juice, I'm afraid, it's not wine. It never tastes as good, I've got to be honest with you, but anyway, we've got what juice today. And the reality is, is that this thing that we call Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, communion, it means thanksgiving. What are we giving thanks for? We're giving thanks for God. We're giving thanks for our, his relationship with us. We're giving thanks for Jesus' love for us. Yeah? And, and, and so what we see here is um, this amazing uh, metaphor, which starts here, starts right here in John 6. But you know what? It's a bit of an awkward metaphor as well, isn't it? Let's be honest with you. It's an awkward metaphor because it implies that we're eating Jesus' body and drinking Jesus' blood, which should make you gag. If it doesn't, I'm worried about you, okay? Um, and um, and we, were, we are not the only people to kind of think this is awkward um, because later in chapter 6, verse 52 in John, John's account, John records the people that Jesus is talking to saying this to each other. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Ugh. Like, that might be a question that you might ask yourself as well. And you might think that Jesus is just going to just say, guys, I've got a really great explanation for this. It's a metaphor. Um, and I want you just to understand it's a metaphor. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. John records Jesus as saying this. He doubles down on it and says, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. <laughs> I mean, like, Jesus, you could have had an easy out there. You could have just explained, no, this is metaphorical, guys. No, he says, no, this, this is real food and drink. And you're all going, eh. And you know what? A lot of the people around Jesus went, eh. This is hard teaching. I'm not sure I like this. And what happens? Most of them depart at that point. They've been following Jesus all this time. And at this point, it says, it says in uh, John 6.60, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? As they decide, it's all getting a bit much for them. And many people up and leave at that point. And then Jesus has this conversation with his disciples. Do you want to leave as well? And they're like 12 of them. And they go, um, no, 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 that's fine. 
We'll live with that. We'll hold it in tension. We don't understand it, but we're still following you. Right? This is the nature of the conversation. It's, it's bizarre. Now, you may have heard that some in the Catholic tradition believe that the bread and wine that is used in the Eucharist, remember what's that word? Thanksgiving. Okay. That actually this bread and this juice, when it gets into your mouth, turns into the flesh of Jesus and turns into the blood of Jesus. Now, before you all gag, okay, they, don't, they will acknowledge that it still tastes like bread and wine. It doesn't taste like blood and flesh, thankfully. Because have, have you ever cut yourself and sucked the blood? It's not a very nice taste, is it? It's a metallic kind of taste. No, no one's done that. Come on, someone else has done that, right? Yeah, thank you. I'm not the only weird one. Um, or you just bit, bite your lip or something. Well, um, they don't believe that it actually starts tasting like flesh and blood. But nevertheless, they do believe that it's truly become the body and the blood of Jesus. And the Catholics call this transubstantiation. And it's been authoritative Catholic teaching since the Council of Trent in 1545. So we're talking here almost 500 years. Now, before we get all kind of like, like, well, that's a bit weird. Why do the Catholics still do that? This idea that something physical can lead us into something spiritual and emotional is actually something which is expressed in different ways across the whole church. I mean, here in the Vineyard Church, if you're familiar with us as a vineyard, there are, uh, there, there are things that are important to us as a vineyard church. Um, worship. Earlier on, you know, we were leading, Jack was leading in worship, the team were leading in worship. This was a physical thing. We were singing songs. And there's an expectation for us in the vineyard that that will make a spiritual and emotional difference to our lives. That the physical will lead to the spiritual and emotional, which will be lasting. Um, we also believe that in, in healing, physical healing, and emotional healing. And we believe that the physical act of laying hands on someone can lead to actual spiritual and emotional healing in someone's life. That's not a lot different to what the Catholics believe with regards to transubstantiation. We also have the same thing with prophecy uh, and words of knowledge um, and this idea that God can speak to us in our imagination a word of encouragement that really is specific and accurate and we could not have known that had the Spirit of God not revealed it to us. That's the same sort of thing, that where we, where what we do in the physical uh, leads to something spiritual and emotional. And indeed what we do in the spiritual and emotional actually has a physical effect on us as well. So there's nothing, there's nothing unique about this. Um, uh, we see... We see uh, this kind of physical, spiritual, emotional connection in all aspects of the church's tradition, whatever you call yourself. Now, in recent years, there's been a popular return to spiritual habits and disciplines that are physical activities that enable us to take that deep dive into our soul in such a way as to connect with Jesus. Um, authors like Richard Foster. Anybody remember Richard Foster? Celebration for Discipline? There's an oxymoron. Um, uh, Dallas Willard. Nobody else got that joke, didn't they? That's fine, didn't they? Uh, Richard Foster, Dallas Willard, John Altberg, Richard Rohr, Ruth Haley Barton, and more recently, everyone's favourite, John Mark Comer. Seems to speak at every Christian conference that I've been at. The reality is, is that these people are putting at the front and centre of the expression of Christianity the celebration of disciplines, the practice of disciplines. Dan and Karen are doing a course at the moment on, what's it called again? Practicing. Practicing the Way. And that's a John Mark Comer book, isn't it? And it is about practices, activities that help us not just swim in the shallows, but take a deep dive into our soul. That's right, isn't it? 
Yeah, that's it. And, and the reality is, is that this has become so much a focus for the evangelical church. Uh, uh, I, I imagine the Orthodox and Catholic Church are just saying, yeah, well done, guys, for catching up. Because we've been doing this for centuries. But the evangelical church is catching up with this. And we're seeing an outbreaking of it. And in some ways, you know, some would say it's an outpouring of the spirit. One uh, very uh, senior and uh, uh, vineyard pastor who's been around since the start of the vineyard, a friend of mine, said, uh, yeah, this is like a breaking wave of the spirit. This is a breaking wave of the spirit. This move towards uh, spiritual disciplines, this move towards contemplative, reflective practices where we can encounter Christ Jesus. This is part of what God is doing in our world at the moment, and certainly in the evangelical charismatic world. Um, in the last four or five years at Seven, here we've done focus on the same things. You'll notice uh, that we are, as a church, we are focusing on giving us opportunities to take a deep dive into our souls, whether it's um, Emmanuel Prayer. If you've not done that yet, you should have a go. Um, that's with a counsellor helping you uh, hear Jesus speak to you in the deep, dark depths of our souls. Um, uh, emotionally focused pathway, another great way that you can invest and dive deep into your soul uh, rather than just swim in the shallows. The gold course, another great way of doing that as a community group. Um, there's so many things that we're doing as a church that help us take a deep dive into our souls because we know, we know that for us, and I'm sure it's the same for you, that we're not satisfied just swimming around in the shallows. Like swimming around in the shallows is great, but I don't want to always swim in the shallows. It's like McDonald's food is great, but I don't want to always eat McDonald's food. The, the reality is we need to feed our gut sometimes. We need to go a bit deeper. And if you are a sort of Christian that's thinking to yourself, do you know what, Christianity, it doesn't kind of, it hasn't really had the effect on me I thought it would. Or I've been a Christian for a while and I don't really feel like I'm closer to God or I don't feel like the benefits of being in church. Like, that's because you're not taking a deep dive into your soul. I have no doubt about that. The reality is, is it's only in that place that we really start to get that spiritual nourishment and satisfaction that we're talking about with food, where we feel really healthy, where we feel like what we're putting into our bodies is actually bringing, doing us good rather than harm. And I want to encourage you that we're a kind of church where that can happen, where there's plenty of opportunities to do that, but you've got to take them up, folks. You've got to put your time and energy into it, because if you don't do that, it's not going to happen. The reality is, is that we don't get to do this if we're not prepared to put some time and energy into ourselves. You know, um, it takes a lot of humility to take a deep dive into your soul. The psychiatrist, um, Carl Jung, I think it was a Swiss uh, psychiatrist, he, when he was an old man, he was asked by one of his students what his personal pilgrimage had been. And he answered this, he said, in my case, pilgrimage consisted in having to climb down a thousand ladders until I could reach out my hand to the little clod of earth that I am. He understood that the key to spiritual and emotional health is a willingness to make yourself vulnerable, to descend a thousand ladders, a thousand decisions to humble oneself. It is not easy presenting yourself to a counselor and saying, I need help. It is not easy presenting yourself to another person saying, I really need some help being vulnerable. It's not easy to engage with disciplines like prayer. It's not easy to uh, uh, just spend time in solitude. Some of you are thinking, I would love some solitude. I'm just a busy mother or father and I've got like 20 different people asking me for 20 different things at once, you know. Some of these things are quite appealing, but it's not always easy to do it. You've got to make time and make space to do it in your life. Silence 
It's a wonderful spiritual discipline to help you connect with God and connect with your deeper soul. But how hard is it to just deliberately decide to switch my phone off, disengage with any social media, disengage with anybody else, and just be in a place of silence? The discipline of prayer is so hard to do. Fasting. Has anybody tried fasting recently? I was meant to fast. I committed to myself that I was going to fast every Friday um, through Lent. Lent started and I forgot. You know, Friday, I forgot. I was like, oh no. I ate my breakfast. Oh no, I was going to fast. So now I'm going to start next week. No condemnation, it's fine. But friends, it's hard to do it. We have to humble ourselves to do it. We have to put time, energy and money into doing it. Maybe you need to pay to go off to a retreat centre. There's plenty of them around. Go and find one and, 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 and impose on yourself a day's silence. Oh, my life. That is so hard. You know, um, the word human being and the word humble uh, comes from the Latin word hummus, which means earth. All right? When we humble ourselves, we are doing what Carl Jung said. We are recognising that we are made of the same constituents as the earth. We're made of carbon, breakers right down. You know, we're the same stuff as the earth that covers the planet. That's what it means to humble yourself. Carl Jung realised that you're not really free until you free yourself from your own ego. You're not really free until you free yourself from uh, your self-image, from your reputation. You're not free until you free yourself from your need to be right, to be in control, or even to need your need to be loved by other people. Friends, if your experience of Christ Jesus is limited, if your experience of religion is a bit like McDonald's, okay, ultra-processed fast foods, there are other providers of ultra-processed fast foods out there, if your experience of religion is that, then there is more for you to have. And as a church, we're committed to making those things happen for you. So this is Lent. We've got 40, well, a little less than 40 days now until Easter. Why don't you take this opportunity to do something? Maybe join, practice in the way community group. Maybe submit yourself for an Emmanuel prayer. I use that word submit deliberately because it's quite offensive, isn't it? What do you mean submit? That's, well, that's called humbling yourself. Like... Give yourself to other people, like getting into a triplet and, and start that process of being open and vulnerable with other people. Um, maybe engage with the Emotionally Focused program. Um, maybe, maybe just join up and subscribe to the Lent podcast and spend 10 minutes every day through Lent. That is just one way in which you can humble yourself and take a deep dive into your soul. This is a time to do it, friends. This is traditionally a time when the church does this thing and we can do it together as a community. You don't have to be doing this by yourself. So if you'd rather eat 30 different types of plants than McDonald's, you can do that. But if you'd rather also spiritually nourish your soul with deep, deep reflection rather than just swimming in the shallows, you can do that. So um, in a moment, we're going to do something which on the face of it, it's very ordinary. And yet, this bread and this juice can be to us the body and blood of Christ. This physical thing, bread and juice, can be a spiritually nourishing moment for us, if we allow it to be. So we're going to invite you in a minute to... Uh, are we getting the kids down? I think, no, we're not going to do that. No, OK, let's not get the kids down today. We'll just do it now as a group, just because we're out of time. We're going to invite you to come to the front. We're going to put a quiet piece of music on, take a piece of bread, Take a piece of juice, 
and allow this to be a symbol, but allow it to be a bit more than that. Allow God to touch you in your deeper innermost space. We're just going to do that together as a, as a group. There's two tables at the front. I'm just going to put some quiet music on in your own time if you'd like to. Don't feel you have to but as well. There's no obligation here. Just, just you know, sit where you are. It's absolutely fine. But if you'd like to, come to the front now and take some juice and bread and eat it. And we want to say a little prayer. Um, if you'd like some prayer now would be a good time to come to the front as well. Just remain at the front. In fact, eat your bread and juice and just stay at the front and someone will come and pray with you. We'll organise people to pray for you. Um, fantastic. Let's, let's make this Lent a time of reflection and a deep dive into our souls, however you want to do it. Why don't you stand together? Ben, if we could put some quiet music on, that would be brilliant. Friends, we can experience Christ Jesus in the shallows, but sometimes Christ Jesus will invite us to deep dive into our souls. We thank you, Jesus. This is an act of thanksgiving. We thank you for the bread. We thank you for the juice that represents your body and blood, which you so lovingly gave on the cross. We celebrate all that you have brought for us, and we embrace it into our body as we eat this bread and drink this juice. May this physical act have emotional and spiritual benefits to our bodies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Feel free to come to the front and get some.